Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul, and joining me today is science fiction writer Gary Morgenstein, here to talk about his new new book, Mound Over Hell. Gary, welcome to the show. Or welcome thank back, you. I should say. Yes, thank you. I'm always delighted to be on the show, Paul. Always a pleasure having you. So the last time you were on the show, we discussed science fiction, just the genre in general, um, amongst everything else. But um, what would you say is the most interesting aspect about science fiction, in your opinion? I think it's the, um, the infinite possibilities, the ability, the ability to say what if. And I think many people um, are, are saddled with the notion uh, that they don't like science fiction because they think that sci-fi is all about Star Wars or Star Trek and lizard aliens and spaceships. And then you ask them a question, well, do you like that TV show or that movie or that novel? And they say, yeah, and they well, that's science fiction. You, there's, it's such a broad genre, which makes it so wonderful. I was at a sci-fi site the other day, and I was just looking at the genres of different science fiction genres, and I was just astonished how many different ones there are now. I was very pleased to see that there are no dystopian baseball novel genres, which mine is. So that was kind of nice. I'm a bit of a trailblazer here. But it's just wonderful to see the breath of science fiction and the imagination it offers. Definitely. So speak of your book, do you mind giving us a little bit of information about it, the general plot and idea behind it? Sure. It's called A Mound Over Hell. It's the first in the Dark Depths uh, book series. And it's set in 2098, um, 25 years after America and the West has lost uh, World War III to Islam. So imagine America is now surrounded. And the rest of the world is pretty much under the Islamic Caliphate, a, a, a viral in, a version of ISIS took over the Arab world and, and conquered most of it. So the crescent moon and, and star flag flies over Big Ben, the Kremlin, the Eiffel Tower, um, the Vatican. And so America, in the, in the ashes of this defeat, which saw 13 million casualties plus 4 million children, L.A. was nuked, Washington was nuked, Manhattan was hit by a chemical attack, and the seat of government has now moved to the Bronx, of all places. And in, it's a post-democracy world a post-corporate capitalism world. And an entity called the family runs the country, um, led by Grandma, who's a 92-year-old um, Asian woman. The, the book, by the way, is very, almost all the main characters are diverse, because this is the 22nd century. And, um, and I thought that was important uh, to stress. And in, in America, everything is based on love and integrity and ethics. So, for example, the, the concept of gay or straight doesn't exist. If you love someone, that's all that matters. You work hard, that's all that matters. Uh, there's no reference to ethnicity, to race, to gender, anything of that, unless you're a Muslim, because there are no Muslims left in America, because they've all been deported in the wake of the war. So within this dystopian world where religion is banned, where social media is banned under the Anti-Narcissism Act, where banks 
lawyers, the entertainment industry were all banned under the anti-parasite laws, and where robots with faces were banned because in the 2030s, they blended too deeply into society and posed as humans. So there are robots in this world, but they have no faces. So you just see the metal. So they can be distinguished, obviously. Of course, they, they have something called the little extended family because they, there's no we don't want any prejudice against even the robots. So baseball, which has been discredited and associated with treason, begins its last season ever in the last remaining ballpark, which is Amazon Stadium, formerly known as Yankee Stadium. And uh, the main character, Puppy Dedek, is a baseball historian. He wakes up one morning and he finds this really, you know, smelly, drunk, fat old white guy on his floor. Puppy's black. And the guy insists that he's Dickie Mantle. And then a few days later, some very courtly southern gentleman uh, shows up in his apartment and says he's Ty Cobb. And then the greatest player of them all, a Latina, a woman, Mushy Lopez, shows up. And baseball regains its popularity only to become a pawn in a global struggle. Because Grandma, the head of the family, wants a legacy of real peace. She doesn't want this eternal Cold War, America surrounded and all the hatred. So she reaches out to a distant Muslim, the son of the Grand Mufti, to begin peace talks. Because there are Muslims who are chafing under the radical Islam. And they want a, a genuine enlightenment of Islam and return it to how it once was a thousand years ago. And so that's all the strands coming together. Definitely cool. It's got a lot of backstory, a lot of uh, history to it. I, I like that a lot. I like the anti-narcissism world too, because <laughs> social media is probably the biggest thing destroying everything. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, the beauty of, of creating a world is you, you develop laws, you know, like um, foundation laws, but they form how your plot goes. So, for example, children are revered in this world uh, because, like I said, four million died in World War III for, for various reasons, including uh, the damage to the environment, the radiation, chemical warfare. So abortion is illegal. Contraceptives are illegal. Pedophilia is a capital offense. And so one of my characters, uh, a woman, becomes pregnant, a single woman. And I thought, okay, what will I do? How will I handle that? Because I have my own laws to follow. She can't have an abortion unless she wants to do something illegally. And what would that entail? And would they let a single woman in a society which stresses only marriage and family keep a baby? Well, not. So it's kind of interesting. And the thing about the, um, the social media, the belief is that family is paramount. And you cannot say that you have 5,000 Facebook friends and they're all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? They're not your friends. And the people who retweet you or like you on Twitter are not really your friends. And this society stresses um, the belief in real relationships. And you have to think for yourself. Individual responsibility is also critical. And so we don't want thought leaders. Uh, we don't want people um, influencing you to like something through social media. There's even You can't ask for autographs, for example. There are no celebrities. You, you, everyone must think for themselves. For a dystopia, it sounds like it's got some good aspects to say the least. <laughs> yeah, some not, like positive. Yeah, yeah, some things are not so bad. <laughs> that's one thing uh, that's really interesting about yours is a lot of times when I read dystopian novels and books and things, everything is terrible. It's the the worst possible situation. There doesn't seem to be much logic to it. Like they'll have like a sort of well, we did this because you know to prevent this, but they spend more time basically making it seem like the worst possible thing instead of you know 
things are bad, but there is like an internal logic. Like I can kind of understand where the other side was coming from to an extent. So I, I like that idea. It seems it seems very well developed. Well, yes, and you also not only as a writer, but for the reader, yeah. the reader to be able to follow it, instead of just throwing things, you know, going from here and there and them going, well, what? You, you, you need them to say, okay, I understand. Now that makes sense. There, there must be that. Um, that must follow. There's got to be a logic there. And it's, and, and it's much more fun. And even in the worst scenarios, say the London Blitz of 1940, when the Germans were pounding the, the country, the birth rate increased because people still had to live and people still wanted to be hopeful and think of the future. At the end of the day, still look at your, your partner and say, honey, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? So in a story, it's really important, as always in any story, to deal with the characters. And that's what I try to focus on. There's not, it's um, very much a, a social um, dystopian world. There's some techie stuff, but I'm not very techie. So I can't go too far without not knowing what I'm doing. So there's holograms but I don't go into the inner details of holograms in the beginning baseball players or hol you know, hologram. Uh, but it's really just about a world and a clash of cultures. And I thought, uh, the, the, the idea came to me, and, and you know what, you're a writer, so you understand where these things come from, and sometimes you don't know where they come from. And, so <laughs> right? It comes out of nowhere, it's like, huh, where'd that idea come from? <laughs> yes, it, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's the uh, magic of it. And I was, uh, this was a couple of years ago, and my wife and I, we're having breakfast one Sunday morning, listening to the Beatles, and the idea popped into my head, well, baseball is going to have its final season ever in a dystopian world uh, led by Grandma. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of cool, but what the heck happened? <laughs> How did we get here? And I thought, okay, America should lose a war, really lose a war. We lost Vietnam for all intents and purposes, but that did not lead to the destruction of our, you know, we were not surrounded. It was horrible, but it was different than losing World War III. And I thought, okay, to who, who do we lose the war to that would be scary and different? Now, losing to Russia, kind of like the Cold War again. That's not terribly interesting. China, it, again, it wouldn't be all that interesting. There would be some clash. But I thought, okay, what about Islam? What about if the nightmare comes true? And I think with science fiction, it's, it's good to have one foot in the present so people can follow. Definitely. That's that's a good way of putting it. As much as things change, you have to have some things staying the same because, you know, like you were saying, it's there's still human beings and human beings right. don't change that much. Right. No, they don't. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still, people still get together. Still, People still want love. People get hungry. They have kids. They want to make something of themselves. They get mad. They get into fights. I mean, it really hasn't, progress with all the bells and whistles from that. We sometimes forget that. I think one question we have to ask is, uh, why baseball of all sports? Why, why baseball? Well, I love baseball. My first two novels, Take Me Out to the Ball Game and The Man Who Wanted to Play Center Field for the New York Yankees were baseball. And it's very rare. I don't want to say I'm the only science fiction baseball novel ever, but it is pretty rare. And the, I think the reason that science fiction writers don't use baseball is because they think it's so old-fashioned and that it would not make the cut. There was a storyline, whenever I say this, people refer to um, Deep Space Nine. There was some storyline involving baseball in the future. But for the most part, there's not a lot of baseball um, in science fiction. This fantasy, field of dreams, damn Yankees, stuff like that, but not really um, uh, science fiction. But what I do is I kind of flip that on its head. I say, yeah, baseball is old world 
and old school and representing the, the America of nostalgic better days. But that's why it becomes vilified and becomes associated with treason. Definitely an interesting concept. It's like the American greatest pastime is suddenly considered treasonous. That in itself is, like, is a pretty interesting concept. Yes. And this is a, a world where the old America the Amer- of the American empire, so-called, um, is discredited. So there's no national anthem. You can't own the flag. There's no Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, the, the army, the, the, the soldiers were blamed for losing World War III, kind of like what the military went through after Vietnam. They were shut to the side. They were embarrassed by the soldiers who, you know, gave 13 million died in the war, but they were still embarrassed by that. So, yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of different elements to that. But yeah, baseball is in my home. Do you think with recent films like Star Wars and shows like the new Star Trek series, interest in science fiction has gone up or down, or do you think it's kind of stayed the same in the past couple of years? Well, I'm not a, a fan of the new Star Wars movie. Neither I am I. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm glad to hear you say that, because yeah. I didn't even see the, I didn't see the new one. I saw the last one. I was like, Yes, so. Now, what, did you see the new one? What do you think? I didn't like it. Actually, uh, I, I made a video on YouTube a while back that was entitled um, Why Star Wars Should Have Remained a Trilogy, basically how yes. having it continuously go on just kind of defeated the purpose. And the universe of Star Wars isn't that big where you can have something like that. It's not like Star Trek, which is about people traveling in an infinite universe. It's like it's a right. specific conflict in a specific time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a fan at all the, of the yes. new one. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, and now there's going to be a movie about um, Han Solo prequel. Like, who cares? Yeah. What, what, and I, I'm sorry, but maybe it's me, but I'm confused. Is this reboot how it was the first time? So are they doing a similar story? And if so, why? Yeah, it's like, I felt like with, especially with the Han Solo movie, Everything you needed to know about Han Solo, you learned through his actions of in the rebellion and, th- and fighting the Empire. Everything else is just trivia, which I guess it could be fun, but it's not necessary. It like, in a way, it kind of detracts from who he was because you learned about him through his actions in a specific conflict and dealing with the people that he met. And in general, I just don't see it working out. And I grew up watching Star Wars, but I hate saying it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty much done with that series in general. Yeah, me too. Yep. I, I I think if when Star Wars comes on demand, I'll spend six bucks out of yeah. curiosity. But I'm not going to be jumping up and down. And I haven't seen uh, the new Star Trek uh, Discovery series. Is it any good? I haven't seen that one yet. The reviews of it haven't been that good, but I'm... I'm not really sure. I still have to finish. I never finished Enterprise. I'm like, I'll finish that at some point. And like... <laughs> I kind of put that one to the side. It's like I like to get through each Star Trek series before I start another one. So um, I'm not sure about that one, but that one's apparently not doing very well from what I've read. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I love uh, Black Panther. See, that was a smart movie. Yeah, that one, that one had probably the best villain of any mm-hmm. any Marvel film because it was it was an interesting idea. It was a guy who had a goal and motives, and it was realistic. And I thought that was yes. really cool. Yes, and it was a it was something you could identify, or at least not want to be like them, but understand, which is oh, important yeah. in the villains. Yeah, that was really good. I just, it, it was about something, and it said something, and, but without being heavy-handed, and it, it, it was entertaining. Uh, I, I think there's another Avengers movie coming out this year, and again, it's like, why? I, I really don't want to see um, Tony Stark 
throw his quips anymore. I am so tired of Robert Downey Jr. I just wanted you to yank Mechanical Heart out of his chest. I feel the same way. I saw, um, I think it was Thor Ragnarok, and the whole thing was just a back and forth between the Hulk and Thor. I'm like, all right, get on with the plot already. I get it. Like, And yes. then that was, I, I did not have fun watching that one. I'm not a big Marvel fan in general, but uh, those movies are just like, all right, I get it. We can, we can move on to something better. I, I do well, think that Wonder some, Woman was great. Did that was like amazing. Woman? Yeah, that was a really Wonder good one. Woman. That was another one where it's like it was about the character and about like something more. And I think a lot of it's just like people like seeing, you know, the back and forth between the characters, which is okay. But it seems like they rely too much on that. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, it was just like back and forth arguing. And I'm like, all right, or, or is this going to be two hours of that? Like, need a little bit yeah. more than that. Yes. Have you seen um, the Philip Dick's Electric Dreams on Amazon yet? I haven't, but I'm looking forward to that. It's, one of, yeah, it's based on too. one of my favorite books. So. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big Philip uh, Dick fan. I love yeah. his, I mean, his, I mean, some people compared my novel, I'm kind of humbled by, it, to like Philip K. Dick, because he would just talk about the madness of, of a society, but in a casual way. And that's kind of when you're writing the future, you almost can't point it out too much. You have to be very casually, let the reader just, oh, this is how it is. And you can't explain everything right away. You just have to let them enter the world and they'll figure it out, hopefully. Oh yeah. If you you know if you if you've written well enough, you'll help them figure it out. But you have to let them you know deal with it as they will. Definitely. I remember. Um, I don't remember if it was Ubik or um, or the Three Sigmata of um, of something. Uh, yeah, Palma Eldritch. Paul, that was it. Yeah. It yeah. Was, <laughs> and one of those books, like, there's a scene where the character's trying to open a door and he's put money into it, and it's not. It's acting up, and it's just a small scene, but it showed like how bizarre and how impractical the um the technology was but it's like yeah i, I can kind of see something like that happening like i look at parking meters and how like they'll act up at times i'm like you know i bet if like people really weren't paying attention or really didn't care about like the technology of it like just something like that could end up happening <laughs> so. yes i mean that and, and as you say you put it perfectly it's about just someone one person struggling with a, a crazy machine and that's what makes a good story because oh, yeah. you identify, because you identify with them, pretty right? much. You're not in that world, you know, but you identify because, because it's a frustration we all share, and you have to be able to share these emotions in the future. That science fiction has to be able to do that to have characters that you can still identify with. Definitely. Did you see uh, Blade Runner two thousand forty nine? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I wasn't blown away by it. Yeah, I, I remember the whole time I was there thinking, do they need Harrison Ford in this at all? Like, did they need, like, to have yeah. the baby be Rachel's and his? Like, that just seemed like an excuse to have him in there. And, like, I like Harrison Ford, but he didn't add anything to this. And it kind of made the world seem a lot smaller. Like, it had some good concepts, but overall I was thinking, this doesn't really touch on anything the original didn't already touch upon. And the original right. is classic, so. Well, you know, you, you can make the point that Hollywood just doesn't have good ideas anymore and they're just so desperate to build on franchises and existing brand names but without any reason for having the actual movie done like like with star wars there's really no reason to do star wars movies anymore yeah i definitely agree with that sometimes i wonder if it's just like that they don't have any ideas or just that 
they're afraid of not playing it safe. I really didn't like the new Star Wars, and neither did you, but they know that they're going to have people buy, like buying merchandise no matter... Well, I guess the merchandise isn't doing well. Uh, apparently, I was, I was watching a video, like, they can't sell any of the toys or anything, which is bizarre to me, because I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I bought mm-hmm. every Star Wars toy I could find. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that says something. Oh, yeah. Out of curiosity, what's your favorite Philip K. Dick book? Well, speaking of Blade Runner, I think it's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah, I, that's probably my overall favorite. I actually like the book better than the movie, well, Blade Runner, because I love the way it ends. He just, he goes home and he goes to sleep and it just sums everything up so perfectly. It's like, he goes from, um, like, meditating for a while after the exposure of the, um, that religion he followed ended up being fake and he reflects on everything. Then, like, it's as if everything happened in a day and he just goes home and it's just a normal day, but so much has happened and you feel like, you really went through a, through a journey with somebody. I thought that had like the perfect ending. It didn't have to be flashy or big. It was, it was like just going home after a day of work and just reflecting on everything. It's like it wasn't trying to show it wasn't trying to be big and flashy. It was just trying to like be like a moment in time. And I thought that was brilliant the way the way you did that. Well, I also love um, the Man in the High Castle. Talk about scary dystopian scenarios. Oh yeah. And, and what I think um, he did so wonderfully is, the, again, the, the casualness, almost the, the banality of a world where America's carved up between the Japanese Empire and the Third Reich. And the TV show is really good. I, I thought the, the first season, there was a little too much cutesy romance between the two leads, which was like, okay, come on, really? You don't know who they really are? Um, but I think it's kind of chilling when, for example, you would have the, um, the Nazi living on Long Island. And they would have the swastika in the yard. But it would just be matter of fact. Because, yes, if the Germans invaded America, of course, they're people. They have to live somewhere. They live in the suburbs, right? And they'd have Sunday dinner. And maybe they would talk about things that would make our hair stand on edge. But it's still, it's just people. And I think that, again, is what is a really good science fiction. Is you, you create a world that's off, but people accept it as normal. Definitely. And, and it could be terrifying. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. It's like how the average person lives in like this dystopia and like how they're kind of blissfully unaware of all the stuff going on. Like They'll be aware of it, but like how bizarre it is to an outsider. And, but people accept it. Oh, yeah. Because people will revert to form and say, okay, I have to survive. And, okay, this is, you know, I don't like this. But what can I do alone? In, my, in the Muslim Europe of my novel, for example, um, the Europeans are called crusaders. Well, you know, in America, we call the, the Muslims alis. It's not nice, you know, hate is hate. But in, for example, in the streets of Muslim Europe, a crusader cannot walk on the same side of the street as a Muslim. But it's like, okay, this is the, this is the world. And, you know, you can accept this being your world afterwards. So that's one of the good things about science fiction is it makes you reflect on norms in your own life and in around you and it's like is this bizarre like why is this going on the way it is and i, I always find that particularly interesting about the genre like um another really good philip k dick book was um have you ever read a, a scanner darkly yes yeah that, yes, that one was, i thought was they, good and that and that was a wonderful movie with keanu reeves yeah that that movie was was actually really yeah. good in the way they did that i like how they casually talk about the drug addiction that the main character goes through and it, it's so weird, like, he's putting his life on the line, he's living this double life, 
that he's kind of getting confused. But when they address him about it, it's like, well, you know, it does, like, this tends to happen where, you know, people get addicted, you know, they do that. It's so casual about it. And they throw him in the um, rehab center, which is just a scam in the first place. And it's like, wow, there's all this stuff going on. And everyone's just kind of walking by as if, like, nothing out of the ordinary. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So when is Mound of Hell scheduled for release and, uh, and where will we be able to find it? Well, you can pre-order it now. The official pub date is March 29th, which is opening day of the baseball season. I thought that was kind of cool. Definitely. For the publishers, yes, BHC Press were wonderful to schedule it then. But you can get it uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google+, Apple. It's all over the world. So if you're, you know, your listeners are in the U.K., you can go to Waterstone or Foils. It's going to be in Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Um, it's cool. It's really cool going to be very exciting definitely and where can we follow you to learn more about amount of hell and any other projects that you'll be working in the future well my twitter handle is at writer gary and i'm on facebook and if you go to um bhc press just go to gary morgenstein and that's my office page i don't have a separate website because that's like too much like enough already you just <laughs> yes. how many places right pretty much yeah i feel like the um website thing is it's kind of becoming superfluous there's so many websites nowadays absolutely i figured i just stay with the publisher and you go directly there all the information is there um but it's very exciting this is you know this is going to be cool i hope people will read it and i hope they'll talk about it definitely i'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out there you have it b movie fans a mound of hell the first book in the dark depth series by gary morgenstein Gary, thank you again for joining today. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Paul. You take care. Have, have a happy Sunday. Thanks. You as well. If you have an independent film you're working on and would like to discuss it, you can email us at bmoviebros at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros or my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. Don't forget to listen to our podcast. We review a different bmovie each week. New episodes every Friday on our website, bmoviebros.com. If you have a movie you'd like us to review or any additional comments, feel free to leave a message below. This has been another bmovie interview. We are the bmovie bros saying... Be brave, be alive, and be back next time.
Definitely true. So I think one question we have to ask is, uh, why baseball of all sports? Why, why baseball? Well, I love baseball. Um, I, my first two novels, Take Me Out to the Ball Game and The Man Who Wanted to Play Center Field for the New York Yankees were baseball. Uh, and I, I, it's very rare. I don't want to say I'm the only science fiction baseball novel ever, but it is pretty rare. And the, I think the reason that science fiction writers don't use baseball is because they think it's so old-fashioned and that it would not make the cut. There was a storyline, whenever I say this, people refer to um, Deep Space Nine. There was some storyline involving baseball in the future. But for the most part, there's not a lot of baseball um, in science fiction. This fantasy, Field of Dreams, Damn Yankees, stuff like that, but not really um, uh, science fiction. But what I do 